0: Hey, everyone. My name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver. is a wellness-based podcast. that is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Welcome to August, everyone. We took a much-needed break in July to get some rest, and so we are super excited about this August series, Getting Back, and our first guest tonight is going to be phenomenal as we kick that series off. So we're talking about getting back to pastoral self-care with our returning guest, Reverend Stephen Garrett. Reverend Stephen Garrett is a resident of Montgomery, Alabama, and a powerhouse speaker, passionate entrepreneur, and pastor. Using the Pulpit View podcast, he speaks internationally on mental health, conflict resolution, and tools for a blessed intentional work-life balance. He is also the senior pastor of the Bethlehem Missionary Baptist Church in Phoenix City, Alabama, where he has served for the past eight years. He is happily married to his wife, Christina, for 16 beautiful years of bliss, and they are the homeschooling parents of five awesome children welcome back to the show rev and garrett
1: it is my pleasure to be here
0: all right we got a lot to get to you know i packed way too many questions in less than an hour but we're going to do our best to try to navigate and give some people some good information so as i was setting up for this podcast um, i posted some statistics and i'll just highlight them really quickly uh these come from the schaefer institute 70 percent of pastors constantly fight depression 71% describe feeling burned out, 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, and 70% report they don't have a close friend. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are a lot of, um, I think, misperceptions about being a pastor, and um, I think sometimes it's misinformed because of what we see on social media because of of how we assume pastors are living. We put a lot into what we see pastors driving and wearing and the size of their congregations. So let's dispel some some myths. Um, What are actually some of the things that pastors are responsible for in churches? Let's just talk to the people about what your everyday looks like.
1: So we are, I hate to say it this way, but in many ways, many pastors are playing referee. Uh, We are balancing problems. Our goal, our hope is to be a vision caster in the church Mm -hmm. and to be leading. But I tell Mm -hmm. people, although the text does not directly deal with the church, uh, when Moses in Exodus uh, is leading the people of God, you almost believe they are a Baptist church. uh, because (laughs) (laughs) There's always an argument (laughs) uh, to to bring down. And Mm so... Ironically, as you were talking about the myth, my daughter has a friend and her friend asked her the other day, when the offering is taken up, does your dad take some of the money? And so, uh, and she said, I I don't know, I guess so, because he gets a check. I said, no, 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 daddy doesn't see that offer. I said, the only thing I'm told uh, is the numbers and pastor, we're doing good. Or pastor, we're not doing so good. And our job is to manage the chaos. It is yeah. to help direct the people in their hardest moments to be present with them in their broken states. And mm. sometimes it is to be uh, a surrogate father uh, mm. or surrogate mother, depending on, uh, but it is to step in in a place where our job is to lead them to Christ As we are also kind of helping them navigate through culture Mm -hmm. and uh, the chaos that we have in our today's society. So our our job is very little. Um, It's like uh, you've seen Law and Order. It's always glamorous to watch the detective. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have friends that are detectives and lawyers. And they tell me, listen, don't believe Law and Order. Uh, Those are the rare cases. You don't get the excitement. Uh, the the most of our work is reading, studying, and speaking. Uh, mm. and that excitement doesn't really happen. So, what we see on TV, uh, I think they said something like 85% of pastors are bivocational. 1% as of 2015, there may be recent numbers, uh, actually make over $80,000. And so, one of the struggles with pastors in dispelling the rumors. Are a lot of what we see come from a pastor's vocational job, not from the church. And so.
0: You know, you're gonna have to speak on that, sir. So, first of all, let me just go back because I, you know, um, I like to roll of the beautiful bean footage uh, and remind people of what you just said a very important statistic. Less than 1% of pastors make what?
1: Over $80,000. Okay. Now, that because- was as a- in in 2015. Yeah, 2015. And Mm -hmm. I want to say in 2015, it was 16. The most recent statistic that I saw was 2016. And it was 80,000. But that was a year different. So I didn't want to really
0: Yeah, quote that per se. But I but I do think that that's important. Because one, I think, um, I don't want to assume anything about the audience. So I want you to break down by, by vocational for me, because I think a lot of people don't understand that pastors actually usually have another job outside of being a pastor. Um, because pastoring, sometimes as we look at that stat of less than 1% make 80,000, is not enough actually to cover the needs of the family.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, and two, to go back to your, your daughter's friend, um, that the church is not funding um, your, your, your lifestyle if yeah. you will, because I think that is also a misperception that people have. So so break that down for us, um,
1: Reverend Garrett. So for over 20 years, uh, I've I've been pastoring now 15. Uh, I'm getting ready to actually going on 16. I'm celebrating my ninth anniversary uh, in two weeks. And so all together, it's been 16 years, 20 out of the years that I've been pastoring. So I got four years before pastoring, I was a barbershop owner. Uh, recently retired last year. Uh, Now, uh, what many assumed was, oh, he's retiring either. Here it is. I had folk that thought I was leaving my church because they said we know that they cannot financially replace what the barbershop was doing. Or people thought something amazing had happened at my church and I was getting ready to take on the role. Just because I retired from the barbershop business did not mean I retired from business from business and, mm-hmm. and so one of the things that a lot of people misconceive about uh pastors are we have the affordability to just have regular jobs mm-hmm. by the whim because we are called mm-hmm. many of our pastors are small town pastors especially in national baptist church i think it's like 60% of the baptist and national baptists are rural pastors uh so with that being said uh, uh, with that being said, those pastors are pastoring places where you might get a call at two a.m. in the morning. I've gotten calls. Uh, I've gotten calls at two a.m. I've gotten calls uh, on uh, on vacation time, and I'm expected to leave. Well, you know this is being employed. Mm-hmm. I at a nine regular nine to five. I cannot just get up and tell them. Oh, I have a membership. One of my little, one of my sheep are mm-hmm. are sick. I got to go see about them. I don't get to say that. I and so many pastors are working more entrepreneurship jobs, or they have a structure in place that they can work a traditional job. Uh, but the reality is, they always have to make some concessions. Uh, prime example. Many pastors in the National Baptist, one of the things that they started doing, and a lot of people, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, I don't want to get no pastors in trouble. Don't get anybody in trouble. Of, uh, a lot of uh a lot of our trips, uh, one of our particular trips were set up really for pastors and pastors' wives to take a break. So what they do is when when we're going to register. It is a time that they try to minimize the sessions because they understand that many pastors are taking time off of their regular job mm, to be
0: there. To go. And,
1: yeah. And, and and truth of the matter is your job does not care why you're taking the time off. It's no, they do not. vacation mm-hmm. time. And so mm-hmm. by vocational, basically, to just sum it up, you are working a job while you're responsible for your call.
0: And I think that's important for people to understand um, because I know that and things have gotten better. um, So I grew up primarily in Methodist, A.M.E., C.M.E. in that family, Um, and one of the things that I learned is like pastors weren't actually getting insurance. Yeah. Sure, right. So um, there isn't, and we talk to people a lot of times about what happens when you get sick. Like you're over there nurturing sickness now, right? The family, the family is spreading germs, as yeah, families yeah. do, right? Um, and so, what happens when I get sick? If I'm, if the church is my only source of income, and I don't have any health benefits, or I don't have any life insurance benefits, or I don't have any retirement benefits. As you talked about, some of these rural churches or even some of the smaller churches, um, some churches are connectional, some churches are not. And so um, we're really trying to manage everything in its place. And so often I learned that pastors were taking on other jobs to be able to get benefits Mm -hmm. so that they can make sure that they could take care of themselves and their families.
1: Yeah. And so even with that, when you look at many pastors, a lot of pastors work in the insurance business. And the reason they work in the insurance business is because it allows them to offset some of that. And so um, the struggle that I think a lot have is they assume that when you see, uh, and I'm not throwing nobody under the bus, but I'm just thinking because he's right now one of the more well-known pastors out. You see the Jamal Ryans that is Mm -hmm. speaking all over the place, uh, driving this and doing this, Mm -hmm. that the pastor in the rural town is a smaller version of that I remember a friend of mine said man I just I thought you were going to be a mini TdJs uh you you're pastoring uh, a regular sized church what what what's going on I said um I don't know talk to God so, <laughs> and, and and the reality is many of us we don't I remember mm-hmm. several several times as a pastor and then there's a pride aspect I, what I'm getting ready to say is a pride aspect. I was preaching and I was in pain. I'm talking about toothache. I had an abscess one time, crack tooth another time. And mm. I had to wait because the business I owned was entrepreneurship. And this is before Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't nothing out there really to help me at the time. So I had to save the money up to get it fixed. And mm. a lot of people say, well, why don't you tell your church? Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. We also deal with the ridicule that comes from needing. So we have a balance that we have to take of, I don't want to use it until Mm -hmm. I really need it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a toothache may not be good enough to to do it. And Mm -hmm. so we have to really balance. When I got hit by the car in 2016, walking across the street, there was this pride level. And that was on me. And I, I think we've talked about this before. But there was a pride level on me that I had to be there because I had been talking to them about faithfulness. I had been talking to them, but during that time, and I've been there long enough, just to be honest. During that time, uh, my church was not as present as I would have hoped they would have been because I was out of work for two two months, and I'm at an entrepreneurship job. It was other pastors that came to my aid, yeah, and blessed me through that time mm-hmm. and that season. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, my church did some things but it was one of those assumptions oh well the pastor is well taken care of i discovered during that time even my members thought i was making more Mm -hmm. even though there was some information given out beforehand so Mm -hmm. uh we 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 have to struggle and one of the biggest reasons we get jobs and you are correct is because there are these benefits that we know we need to operate on a daily basis and so you'll have a pastor and then we have to get a job that is understanding of our other commitment and that is for most pastors that is a challenge because you may have the job that's paying you 60,000 a year you need them to be understanding of the job that's only paying you below a teacher salary to mm, you mm-hmm. and it's hard to tell the job that is mm-hmm. paying all the bills right giving you
0: the benefits
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and the benefit mm-hmm. that I can't be there because I have a member that has passed, or uh, I have to go to a meeting that's in the daytime instead of the nighttime, and and my church wants me to be involved. So those are the balances that we have to manage.
0: That is uh, that is a good, nice segue into all of the aspects of being a pastor. Right? You mentioned. Um, this piece about like I didn't feel like this warranted enough of a level for me to go to you all and tell you right and so even just that because one of the things that I heard growing up um, and, and actually I would even say into my early 20s probably was uh, that pastors are supposed to make sacrifices mm-hmm. um, right so you're supposed to be in poverty you're supposed to be out here hurting um, you trusting and believing in God and you telling everybody to be faithful. So you should be out here struggling. Um, and, and it sounds like there was even some buy-in from Pat. Now, nowhere else would we encourage that. We wouldn't encourage our kids. Like, baby, you got an absence. You got hit by a car. Nobody is going to say, hey, you need to, you need to be up in that pulpit Sunday, right? Nobody would do that. But with pastors, there is this misperception that, okay, you, got, you say you're called all right, then, you know, uh, all right, God, come on, show up, then handle that, um, if you're, yeah.
1: I think it's, I think, here it is, and I, I have grace for those who have, who's possibly said that, and here's the reason why, they come from okay. a different era, mm. they come from a different era, the men, when I grew up, did not whine, did not complain, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, I'm just saying, in their mindset, Mm-hmm. This is a burden you have to carry. We're talking mm-hmm. about being that uh, they were taken out of school and told they got a farm because the family has to eat. So their mindset is different than possibly our mindset because they understood that this at this time is just a responsibility that you have as a man. But then you also have to you have to manage the people. And that, that, that's the best way to say it. I remember when I first got to Bethlehem, my wife was, uh, and boy, I'm sharing a lot. My wife <laughs> was pregnant. That's what I do one, to people. One of the elders, uh, elder statesmen, uh, I was asking him to keep it quiet. Don't tell nobody. And because uh, we just found out he was, she was pregnant. And he says in front of the whole church, uh, they're coming with a uh with a baby they they <laughs> she she got one and i remember overhearing one of the members say oh he's going to expect us to take care of that baby too mm. that mm. sits in your soul yeah now when someone wants to do something for me and i know this is an influential person within our congregation mm-hmm. that is talking amongst them and causing some negative responses that and 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 all you hear in 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 many of the churches is that the pastor's about the money. So when you have a pastor that's being treated well, I remember a pastor friend of mine told me the reason he wasn't retiring yet uh was because his church asked him not to. here's the thing because it took them so long to be a blessing to him oh wow wow and and so here's. Here's, you have to manage that. And the belief system is my wife asked me this one day why are pastors martyrs? Didn't Jesus do enough dying? Mm. And I'm paraphrasing how Come she on,
0: said. Come on, sis. Uh huh. Absolutely. But
1: here was my rebuttal why are mothers? Mm. And she said, those are our babies. It's different. I said, that's how we feel. We feel when we're called to it, there's a deeper connection to it. Mm-hmm. I say, and just like a mom, and I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but I am saying there is a sense of, I owe them my best. Yeah. And you have to, you have to break away from that place of thinking that giving my best to someone yes. means taking my best away from myself. Absolutely. And so we had to understand that for her as a mom. But she had to help me walk through to understand that for me as a pastor, mm, that there mm-hmm. were some decisions I had to make yeah. that may be better for me. But it's so I can pastor them better and not be so, um, so expended. So, yeah, absolutely. So Depleted. Under.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, not at a cost to me. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm a servant, but not at a cost to depleting myself and depleting my family. And we're going to get into that in a bit. So we have a question in the chat, right? Because how do we break away from this? So one of the things that I would argue for mothers is that there are other mothers that will say, hey, baby, you got to take care of you. Um, This is why they tell you on the airplane to put your mask on first. Mm -hmm. And when I ask people, they will say, you put the mask on the kids first. I said, and then when you pass out, what's going to happen to that kid? Yep. Right. It has always been you put the mask on first because you got to take care of you in order to take care of them. Right. So how do we change this? The question was, what advice do you have for younger pastors, Um, particularly those who are raising kids who have families want to change this perception that we have to deplete ourselves, that I got to show up even though I got hit by a car, that I got to show up even though I got an abscess, that I am allowed to be able to ask people to support me, that I don't have to bear all of this burden simply because I'm in serving leadership, because I also need to model for you all to take good care of you so what's the balance what would your advice be
1: um a couple things one of the major things there's two books that i love um three take the day off by robert morris um, which is a phenomenal book i i implore anyone to read that book um dangerous calling by paul david tripp i do believe um another good book and then um uh, God, why why am I forgetting the last book? Because it's one of my favorite books uh, out of all of them. But uh, it's by Gordon MacDonald, uh, and I, I when I think of the book, because it's it's on the tip of my tongue, I'll remember. Okay. Uh, but um, uh, the in all three of the books, he talks about how in all three of the books they talk about the necessity of letting God be God, but also partnering mm. with people that can handle it, right, and mm-hmm. so I remember a moment, and this is to answer the question, I remember a moment in my ministry where I was really at the worst place that I could possibly be, um and that was, um I just, I was, I understood it, I understood how pastors could give up, how pastors could say, yes i'm not I'm not mm-hmm. good enough. um uh, mm-hmm. I just I comprehended that. and it was hard for me because overall, I just thought that pastors, you know, Lord's going to uh, rain down the power of heaven mm-hmm. in your in your life. and the book is ordering your private world, ordering private world. by Gordon MacDonald. So one day I am driving and I am just, this was a thought that came through my head. I said, if I have an accident and I've never told anyone this full story about my wife, if mm. I have an accident, I'm not trying to kill myself, I just want to be in the hospital because nobody can bother. me. Mm. Mm. And, and, and that was the thought in my process. I've been in an accident already, got hit by a car, uh, my father had died. That so so October hit by the car. Mm. December twenty sixth, my father is rushed to the hospital, and New Year's New Year's Day he dies. Oh uh, wow! February, my father in ministry is rushed to the hospital, and he is on his deathbed. And then there's problems within the church. And I said to mm. myself, if I can just, if I, if, if I can be at peace. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I say something to, to pastors, make sure that your, your spouse understands how to give you a lifesaver. So my wife knew me well enough to see that I was operating out of place. And so what she did, she searched for, um, she searched for a pastor's counselor and she was like, just give them a call. And I was like, she said, we need you more than the church. And I sat there and talked to him, and just expending a lot of that stuff that I was going through, trauma that I experienced that I didn't realize I had experienced, being mad at people that I didn't realize I was mad at, preaching in my pain. I realized that I was keeping people that wanted to help from helping so so my answer to how do you with kids first of all in ordering your private world one day he's had this busy schedule and his wife tells him because he's been busy all week he has not seen his family all week for due to the schedule and she says listen before you leave tell your children goodbye because they hadn't seen their daddy all week and he says he just breaks down he cries all day his wife sends the kids to the neighbor ministers with him and that goes into a dangerous calling. Uh Paul David Tripp says, every shepherd needs a shepherd. Now that can be your pastor, or that can be a member that you you know here it is. And I ain't saying go tell everything to every member, but that, that can be somebody that you know that when you talk to, that they have a genuine care for you and you manage what you give them. And then here's take the day off. You cannot. You cannot be at everything. There are some times we have to let God be God. And what my pastor used to tell me, he'd say, Garrett, there are some issues that only God can fix. And as long as you have your hand in it, he's not going to do anything with it. So what I would tell any young pastor is to step back before you try to handle the situation. It will be there tomorrow. Get your rest. Don't cancel your vacation. I have a rule in my house. My wife thought I was playing until this year. I had a lot of preaching engagements going into the beginning of the year. One of my dear members passed and it happened. Uh, her funeral happened to only be able to be done on my wife's birthday. I promised my wife when I took this church, there were two things she would not have to share. That was our anniversary, unless it fell on Sunday, and her birthday. So it's a Wednesday. And usually I take that Wednesday off. So this time she said, I understand, babe, there's nothing you can do about it. I know you love her. I loved her. We're going to be there. I called some of my deacons up because I had to cancel the plans on Wednesday. And I said, I won't be there on the third Sunday. I won't be there on the second Sunday. Some of my members were upset with me. I explained to them, my wife didn't want me to have to do it. I said, if I start breaking these promises now, then what's going to end up happening? They'll always be uh, they'll always be disposable. So what I cannot do is allow. And since you had to give up your day, they're going to have to give up their day.
0: Mm. Doesn't make me mm. any less
1: holy because I did preach this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Faith, Come on, thanks. I have a responsibility to mm. shepherd my family as well as I have to. I have a responsibility to shepherd my church. And I tell people this before, uh, because I can run on on that one all day. I tell people this, God never called us to, to, to care. And when I say care, I mean to manage his people. He called us the shepherd. This is what I mean when I say that. I am not their God. I am not the person that is there to solve every problem. I am there to point them to the problem solver think sometimes preachers carry a role of shepherd and not under shepherd. I am an under shepherd, but I am called to shepherd my kids, my wife. I am there to make sure that I am pouring out into them. I got to pour out to both, but one is his bride. And I think many of us as pastors, we are in danger of committing adultery with someone else's wife. Uh, in the church. and 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 what I mean when I say that before someone takes it out of context, the bride of the Church is a bride of Christ. It is not my responsibility to be there for everything for the church. My job is to make sure that I am there to be there for the things they cannot handle on their own and to point them to Christ until they can handle it with Christ.
0: Now you have really spoken. I think to a lot of the frustration that I frequently hear from families about, I feel like I don't have my father. I feel like I don't have my, my spouse. I feel like I don't have my mother um, because it does feel like the church has become more of a priority to them and we're always getting put on the, the back burner. So I can appreciate you speaking to, there has to be some boundaries. But there also has to be a shift in philosophy, because if you feel like you have to be available for everything, then you'll end up not being available for anything. Um, So let's talk about um, some of that burden, some of that trying to figure out that balance. I won't necessarily burden is probably not the right word, um, but I will say trying to figure out that balance of, as you said, not ending up committing adultery, if you will. Because I have over prioritized one wife and under prioritized
1: another. Another, yes. So I, I lost the word from balance, and only reason I lost the word from balance because I don't think you'll never really have a balanced life. Mm. I, I honestly do not believe you'll have a balanced life. Mm. I believe you'll have your priorities in order. Okay. And so here's the reason I say that balancing is something is going to. When something tips the scale, the other is going to feel bad. Mm -hmm. When we set boundaries in, I am there for my children. My children are allowed to ask me questions. I don't care what meeting I'm in. If I am in a business meeting and they call me, uh, they know I'm in a business meeting ahead of schedule. So if they call me, I know it's important. I'm taking that call. I don't feel any type of way. My kids feel their priority. One of the things we did uh, when when I would go to conventions, I I did not, and this probably negative. So pastors don't follow this rule, uh, (laughs) but I did it because there's God had to work on my pride before He could help me work uh, others. I would not let the church take care of my family, except for my wife. Here's the reason why: because when we got there, I told my wife and my kids to go enjoy themselves. Gave them money. I told them to do what you want to do, because I never wanted them to feel the burden of my church asking, "What did you do?" While you were there, my wife had full permission to say it was none of your business. Why? Because the church did y'all right. didn't pay for it. I was there mm. at the conference. They were there enjoying themselves. And when the conference was over, they got daddy's time. So my kids did not look at conference time as a time to be away from daddy, a time that something was taking daddy. They would get to the point where they say, Daddy, when you got to go to another, when do you have to go to another conference? We hadn't been in a trip in a long time. And so it was, it became an exciting moment for them because they started to understand that this does not have to be something taken from you. It can be something giving to you. And so that, that was prioritizing, making sure things are in proper order. And what we do a lot of times, let me say this, I can't say other preachers, I can say myself. I got to a point where I was preparing for sermons. My private time with God was sermon prayer. Mm. My private time was praying over problems. It was not, I repeat, it was not my personal devotion with God. My private time, and I got to that point, a lot of what I learned came from failure, where I thought, oh, me and my wife spent the whole day together Wednesday. She had to help me one day and say, baby, uh, you're at Bible study. That's not a date like that is not a date. I don't care how you phrase this. I don't care how much time we have together. The reason we are together is because you are at Bible study and we decided to leave, with you. this is not a date. And when I started to understand these little nuances, which I'm not perfect at either yet, I started setting boundaries that what happened was they started saying, OK, I know I'm important. So now when he has to make a change, I am more receptive to the change because he's prioritized. And I have enough sweat equity to say, hey, the reason I took, took my wife to see Drew Hill for that weekend that I was supposed to be at church instead of uh, that, that, and to repay her for giving up her time was not be just because I wanted to take my wife. It was because down the line, if by chance it comes up, well, I had to give up. Here's a sweater. Look at what I've done. I need you to see that you did not lose your position. Hmm. And so that, that that's, that's one of the key things. I think balancing, making sure that your personal health, mental health is there first. Taking sure, making sure, because you can't, like you said, can't put the mask on the child and then pass out. The other child's going to die, might get it on one, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be able to get it on the second. And so I got to make sure I'm together. Then I got to make sure my family structure is together because when I come back home from a bad church meeting, which I don't have many of them, but when I come back home, I need my wife to be in a place. That's one of the greatest reasons. I am happy. I'm not telling anybody else that is a co-ministry. They have a co-ministry marriage. We have it in our own way, but I am so happy my wife, doesn't I share the pulpit pit with me? Because when we talk about problems, they're really the church. there are other instances. So I get to shut the church down when I come home and have just genuine organic conversation about how her day was. How did she change the world and impact the world? She talks to me and now we've discovered something. So when I come home from the church, my family structure, because it's taken care of, I'm better for them.
0: I love that. and and I, I heard you say a couple of things, so I want to kind of go back. Um, one, you have mentioned pride quite a few times, and how uh, pride has interfered with you maybe making some of the healthier decisions that you can make. But you also talked about this, you know, some people I wouldn't ask for help. Um, I've set up my family structure so that my family feels prioritized, but I've been very careful about who else I added. I recognize that for some people, they don't actually have a support system in ministry. You alluded to this a little bit earlier when you said oh, you get in that dark place where pastors are feeling suicidal. We know that the suicide rate um, in pastors has increased, and, and it is often correlated to a bunch of things: isolation, not having the support, not having the the um, financial things in place that would allow them to be, take, be able to take good care of themselves, not feeling like they can take care of themselves feeling like they're not you know what does this reflect about me if I get mental health services what does this reflect about me if I let the church know I'm struggling so I want you to speak a little bit on um, some of those things that pastors may be dealing with about how do I create a support network um, and step outside of that pride of feeling like to do so may well and sometimes it may be because people have betrayed your trust I won't always say that it's because you don't um feel like you can ask for help but maybe sometimes you've asked for things and you haven't been able to get them and so you've stopped asking but speak on that um
1: so I would say three things um and I'll expound on them just a little bit um first we got to give people grace um people are human they are going to fail uh it is just nature um and I think if we can give grace it helps to build a stronger foundation. We have an issue of building grace because we're so withdrawn sometimes that when you display, when you, as one person said, uh, when you show me who you are, I just believe you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but that's not really their character. You got to start weighing it and really have some real conversations with yourself. Mm-hmm. Have they been there 90% of the time and this one 10% I've allowed to erase the 90s. And if that's the case, I have some deacons that are phenomenal deacons, but I were, I became withdrawn, not because of them, but because of who I am, I, the type of person, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I've grew up in this thing. And so for me, I was one that once you show me you're not a part of the mission, I just drop it. We do because a mission cannot be stopped. So I had to have some real conversations with myself and say, am I not giving grace? The second thing is uh, look at what you already have in your immediate circumference. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we have people that we can pour into, but because we're afraid that they're going to look at us different, we don't pour in. But the reason that they might be in your immediate area, uh, your immediate view is because they want to be there. You got to look at the folk that have chosen to be around you and not that you chose to be around and here's Mm -hmm. the reason i say um there are some folk that we will get connected to because we just love the provider we love it's something that we might be lacking but they don't have true companionship with you and so you have to look at the folk that are surrounding you. my wife is one of my greatest resources now as a pastor i can't tell her everything because what i don't want remember prioritizing, I don't want her to take some of that back to the church and view them differently. So I also looked at my pastor and I'm a nagger when it comes to building my, my, my team, my pastor, I made sure that I connected with him. I sought out what he needed from a pupil so I could get what I needed from a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we we're in danger and we want somebody to save us. But and and I don't mean that in a negative way, but we're swimming, we're splashing around the water. And the reality is there's a life jacket. And if both of you use it, it can it can help. The mentor needs a pupil just as much as a pupil needs a mentor. And so looking in your immediate circumference. And the last thing is making sure that you hire if you don't have the, you can't give grace. I, I understand. I've been there, been lied on by some of the folk I trusted. I've been there. You can't give grace because you said it's not going to happen to me again. Um, your immediate, your immediate uh, view does not seem adequate. The last thing is, and I'm big on this, go hire somebody, get you a therapist, and 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 I don't mean that as a last effort. Sometimes that should be your first effort. And here's the reason why. It's a very practical reason. The reason why is because if I pay you, I can sue you if you put all my business out in the street. So at least I have somebody that I can hold accountable when I am trying to pour my heart out versus somebody that may let it slip. I don't I don't take it always as people intentionally did me wrong. Malice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, hiring somebody making sure that you have somebody that you can spend time with and then there are so many free resources make sure that you do the research because making sure you're able to expel some of the things you've been bottling up is one of the key key things to get rid of that depression and to help you to see what you need to put in balance
0: that's good stuff those are good recommendations i appreciate that because i do know that some people one they may not be in an area where there are a lot of other people that are options Mm -hmm. um it may be like you said a rural area that may not be a lot of connections um or maybe it's a family area and most of these are you know my family members and i don't want to necessarily you said um have church and family so connected that i cannot have a cutoff yeah so i may be looking so maybe i can pursue that mentor outside of this area. Um, And now with video technology and all of these things like this makes it much easier for us to be able to connect to people no matter where they are. Um, But let's speak a little bit about the mental health piece. And I know this is a, a, a passionate area for you as well. You mentioned the depression. We know that depression and anxiety are probably the top two, some of the top two, depression, anxiety, I would put grief in there. Mm-hmm. that pastors are dealing with with regard to mental health talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges pastors may be facing that one can contribute to their mental health um having distress the in their lives having struggle in their lives two, what are some of maybe the things that prevent pastors from seeking mental health services Um, And three, what are maybe some of the factors that are playing into some of the hopelessness where pastors may get to that point of suicide?
1: Okay, so uh, the first one in, um, I remember when that, that depressive moment happened, one of the things that got to me the most was, so I was on my way to bury my wife's grandfather when I got the call that my dad had passed, we had just mm. left my dad the day before. I wanted to go back to the hospital. I don't know why I wanted to go back to the hospital, but I wanted to go back to the hospital. He was in a vegetative state. Mm. Nothing we really could have done, right? But I get the call at six o'clock PM that he has passed. I do not cry until I'm by myself. Mm. Um, I was upset. I was mad. I didn't know what to do. Um, Then while I'm at the house, uh, some of the folk just questioned, you know, why, like he's not his usual self. Well, you know, my dad just died and my family understood, but just other folk, I just wanted to be withdrawn. I really didn't want to put on for anybody. Right. Um, And so I did not cry. I get a call that night at 10 o'clock p.m. That one of my beloved members died. And the family said, Pastor, we know you're grieving, but we would really love if you would do the funeral. Mm. I called my family in Detroit. My mom says, uh, you you're a pastor. I understand. We're because every because people still got to come in and stuff, we're gonna set it. Uh, that this this day is when we said it. I called the family. I drove back to I drove back to Alabama from DC. From DC. From DC. Friend of mine <clears throat> helped pave the way. Uh, drove back to DC. Buried the man tears in my eye, but I had to keep them because you, you you can't be crying. This isn't your daddy, right? And I preach Sunday morning. I get done from preaching and I get in the car and I drive home to Detroit, Michigan. To bury your father. To bury my father. And as I'm dealing with that as we're going through the mental thing, it wasn't until about maybe that was January. That was January 6th. Yeah. January. uh, No, that was January 11th that we buried him. And I did not take a break until April. And my dad, my, 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 spiritual father, Pastor C.P. Noble, he was in the hospital at the same time fighting his, le- his for his life. Uh, his appendix had burst and I just didn't feel like I could talk to anybody. And so some of the, the dealing is we're still expected by the people to do business as usual. Even if they are looking for us to break down and show our humanity, mm-hmm. the shows of expectation is that your pastor, and so then if you don't show your brokenness, oh, he's trying to put on. I remember some of the comments I got, and it was like, man, I can't afford to let others see be broken. So it was one of my deacons, and I cherish him to this moment for it. He said, Pastor, you should take some time off. I probably went in on that Sunday or something, and I don't ever do that. And so... He said, "Pastor, you should you should take a couple weeks off. I think you should take a couple weeks off." I told them I was getting ready to already. He said, "I think that's that's good, Pastor. You need you need a break." One of my other members, she said, "Pastor, uh, I was waiting. I just didn't know how long you were going to be able to handle it." So the first thing is the reason that it is problematic is because there's sometimes this superhuman hum- expectation on Pastor. I forget her name. I want to say it's Pastor Stewart out of Mississippi, uh, not Mississippi, uh Memphis. Uh don't quote me. She's a part of IC3, but she was at um she was telling her story and I remember her talk. She's a uh she's a bishop, I do believe. Uh if I'm wrong, please y'all don't come at me. It's not intentional. Um uh, she talks about the fact that she lost her baby while she was traveling here and there, going overseas, keeping all of the responsibilities. And so I was telling my wife, I said, the responsibility the responsibility, for us to take care of ourselves falls on both parties. But the reality is we as pastors carry a weight sometime and carry a stigma that we are in it for the money. So because we're going through something, if I come and show you my brokenness in this moment, it may, in our minds, and I'm saying in our minds, I can't can't say that for the church, but in our minds, it may appear as if we've shown you enough weakness for you to attack. Because at the same time, I'm going through problems in my church. So if I show my weakness... Mm -hmm. And y'all are already putting in my hand. Yeah. I'm like, y'all know my daddy to die. Y'all know mm-hmm. Christina's, uh, uh grandfather to die. You know, mm-hmm. a member that I love has died. You know that, and I take my members' death personally. I said, you know that these folk have left us, and y'all are still putting me through hell. So who can I go to? And that's not all the church, but usually the more vocal ones. Are the ones that are causing the problem. And so, what I would say is to so the next part. What was the next question? So I make sure I get it right.
0: Okay. So um, the pride piece and why it's so difficult to find like a support system to ask for that help. And you know, some of it is the mistrust. Is some of it the um, that there's just not, you know, the space to be able to do yep. that. Um, but then that other piece of Um, you know what are some of the things that are affecting my mental health
1: okay so here it is it is is difficult because at the time I'm hearing pastors that I've seen went through more than I did I know a pastor who lost his wife in his arms and I'm saying to myself listen your dad in his late 70s like, you know, this is going to happen. So some of your icons, you glamorize them as a pastor. So the pride comes in because you've seen others in your mind endure it and look like it, not take them out. Mm. You feel like you can't. Me and my wife all, often talk about when she dealt with postpartum. Postpartum wasn't the thing women talked about when she dealt with it. I was the one who noticed that something was off about it. I started making tangible efforts to try to address it. Now, I'm not no therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm I'm not even a, I'm a counselor, but, but not from the licensed perspective as of yet, right? And so I'm saying to myself, I'm just trying to make sure my wife is okay. And so one of the things she talks about, women, for the most part, you talk to moms, that's a part of it. Baby, I went through it. Mm-hmm. So, for pastors, you hear the same thing. I went through it. Oh, Doc, I I I understand what you're going through. It's gonna be, be It's gonna get better after a while. Mm. And so, when we hear that, it makes us challenge: Are we are we soft? Mm. Mm. Are we really not trusting God? So that's where the pride comes in. And I think, like I said, we on the part where it makes it difficult for us to talk to people, some of the stuff that we're going through, we know is public. And even though some of our members, some of our people might be fighting privately for us, a lot of them don't address it publicly. So because they don't address it publicly, we don't feel there's no one fighting for us. Mm. And because we don't feel there's no one fighting for us, we feel as if if I, if you see what I'm going through, and you've not made a tangible effort to help me. Like if you see, uh, if you see I'm drowning, I'm flapping, I'm i raining, And you got a life raft in your hand. Now, what I don't know is that the life raft is anchored down to something. You're trying to break that life raft. I can't see that. You're not telling me I'm trying. You, I just see you there looking. I don't see you doing anything else. It makes me feel like I can't trust you. Yeah. So it, it 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 makes me say, okay, I have to, I have to step back, have to step back. I have to look at the situation from different, from a different vantage point. Maybe I'm the problem. There were many times that I would sit, talk to my wife. I said, what have I done wrong? Mm, mm, mm. And so, the, 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 but, but in the healing, the last part is when I had people that I started looking for and because I first addressed it with my home base it made me start building outside of that but I had to make sure the home base was taken care of first, first. Um, and after that was taken care of it was able to start putting the right people so there are people now that when I'm at my lowest point I will pick up the phone and call them I always tell people I'm friends to many but only few are friends to me Jeez. so uh, there, there's a core group that I will call, and I'll say, "Man, I, I need you to be honest with me." And they'll tell me, "Steve, this is you. This is this is your pride. This 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 is this." And there's other times they'll say, "Man, listen, let's go get some food," and you can just ran. Yeah.
0: So talk to me coping skills, right? So it is this whole session today was about pastoral self-care so we've run the gambit of here are some of the things we're dealing with here are some of the misperceptions here are some of our own thoughts that have been fueled by what we've seen maybe what we've been taught by others that don't allow us to be but talk to me about all of these things that you've gone through all of these things that you've seen um the things that you Maybe said, oh, "I could have handled that different because that was really dangerous. The mm. driving back, yeah, yeah. Um, so right, like, like I, you know, you put yourself at a lot of risk, yeah. Um, right. And I know we're human beings, and we can compartmentalize, and um, sometimes we take care of business because it uh, allows us not to have to really grieve. But like that was really, really a dangerous thing for you. So, as you, so, as you think about all of the lessons you've learned thus far, um, What would you say are some of the important aspects to self-care for pastors?
1: Okay, I I got a few things and I'm not going to hold it long. Here it is. The first thing is give yourself grace. Uh, You are going to fail. You're not going to get everything right. I tell my church there's a God plan and then there's a Stephen idea. Uh, God's plan is not going to be persuaded. You're not going to shift me from God's plan. If I prayed about it, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to do that. But a Stephen idea, it's able to be adjusted and it's able to fail. I don't, I have to give myself grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am human. I am not always They are looking for us to always have the right answer, but you will not always have the right answer. You're going to tell somebody to pray about it when you should have told them to go seek someone and talk to them about it. You're going to counsel and you're going to hold them longer than you should when you should have sent them somewhere else. You're going to spend a little bit more time and make someone more dependent on you than the word of God. These are things that we as pastors do. You're going to plan something. It's going to fall through, and it's okay. You've got to give yourself grace. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, in coping skill, uh, have a – you remember the game Tag? Of course. There was a safe zone in Tag. Whenever mm-hmm. you got to the safe zone, you knew everything. As long as you could make it to the safe zone, mm-hmm. you were okay. Mm-hmm. Talk with your spouse about making your home a safe zone. Oh, that's good. And that should be for both parties. That should not just be for the spouse. There are times where my wife, she just needs to be And I'm not, I can't fix it. I got to take the pastor hat off. And I have to be given permission to put the pastor hat back on. And it has to be a safe zone. I'm not okay. And I just need you. When when she is, uh, we call them quarantine days. When there's old days and she don't feel like she's in the mood, I don't feel hey, babe, this is a quarantine day. I'm not I'm not coming at you, you're not coming at me, I ain't got mm-hmm. nothing to do. This is quarantine day. Mm-hmm. Things are not not going like I want them to. Create a safe zone. Make sure that your spouse is investing in your safe zone and reaps the benefits of your safe zone. You cannot be down all the time. And and, and this is what I mean. If I notice that I'm spending a little too much time in pity party, I my wife is allowed to come to me and and just push me to talk about. It. That is the agreement we've made. You're on your fifth day not talking to nobody. We need you. She gets to push me and pry pride until I break open. Sometimes it's nothing but because we created that safe zone I understand if I have to deal with business and it's stressful I get to get back home it's my safe zone every night after every time we have a church meeting she has a phenomenal dinner cooked. Mm. whenever she has her mom and fine conference she has I make sure she gets a bouquet of flowers something to let her know that she's cared for and she gets the rest when she comes back there's a safe zone that we've developed. And I think the last thing, uh, but it might be the most important thing out of all of that, not just giving yourself grace, not just uh, making sure you have a safe zone, because some some preachers do not have a spouse. Right. Uh, uh, so there was
0: a question about God. loneliness in there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you're
1: dealing with that loneliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think knowing God, God loves you just as much. You do not have to, you do not have to live as a martyr or as a pauper to enjoy your life. So uh, this year, me and my wife, a few years ago, we were talking, she has developed this phenomenal for-profit out of her pain, out of her struggle. One day she said, well, babe, why don't you do this, 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 this? I said, one of the issues I deal with is I'm the funder and I don't have anyone to fund me. Mm. and she said what do you mean she was like baby you know i'm there to support you i said i didn't say you wouldn't support you're a phenomenal i tell my wife all the time she is superwoman uh as far as i'm concerned phenomenal supporter but if my wife needs a little bit extra or the bills got that's that's a worry she never had to deal with for the most part mm-hmm. and so she was talking to me lord had been talking to me about stepping away from the barbershop and I was telling her, I said, I'm not going to do it unless you stand in agreement with it. And so she was like, she she prayed about it and she was quick to say, I think you should. I still didn't want to do it because as a provider, I'm like, listen, I've never been on someone else's time. She said, You're not. You still, there's other opportunities. You're speaking way more. You are having all these other opportunities opening up for you. Why not just step up? I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't until she came to me and said, don't you think you're deserving of mm. your dream? And and, and and for me, my dream was always centered around the church. I didn't want to pastor. I love preaching, but I never wanted to pastor. And so I felt, oh, now that God has called me to pastor, I'm going to be a full-time pastor, do this, do this, do this. And so When I stepped away, I just knew God was getting ready to enlarge territory. Somehow, I didn't know what it was going to be. It was going to be at Bethlehem. They were going to surprise me, do all this stuff. Or the Lord was getting ready to just let my speaking go blow up. Well, first couple of months God blessed heavy. I'm talking about every bill was paid for months in advance because of open opportunities. Then the struggles came. And my wife stepped up in ways. And I'm still bringing in income. Mm -hmm. but my wife stepped up in ways that Mm -hmm. I could, I never expected. She said, I want you to go after your dreams as well. And so recently I took on something that I love to do. I took on a position as uh, a fatherhood coordinator here in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Well, it's something I'm excited about. It is something that I already do. I work with men on being better, more present fathers taking care of their mental health, but it doesn't require me to give up my speaking and leadership responsibility. So I'm like, Lord, can I do this? Like I was wrestling with it. Can I do this and this? And nowhere in the text does it tell me that I have to just leave this. I to, that, that this passion he gave me for working with men has to be solely invested in the church. And I think many of us as pastors We look at bivocational work as a means to pastor. Where I would disagree and say bivocational can just be something you enjoy to do. Mm -hmm. You can love what you do and not have to carry the weight of. And if people have to make some some adjustments then they have to make adjustments. I sat down with my deacons. I said, listen, uh, I'm not going to be going to as many meetings as I used to. We'll need some of y'all to step up. We're going to have to move this aside. We're going to have to push this a little bit later. Why? Because as your pastor, I have a responsibility to take care of my family, but I also have to want to have joy. And so um, understanding that you do not have to die to this. You might have to sacrifice some, you might have to surrender some things, but you don't have to die. You don't have to be a shell of yourself to actually pastor. And your people are going to be made all the better by you taking time, mm-hmm. by you making setting and, and planning structure. And here's the last thing, uh, making sure, making sure that, because we have some full-time pastors, I don't have to go, but I have a hectic schedule on me. And I understand that too. Uh, I know a pastor who, for seven straight years, never took a vacation. Oh my! Never took a vacation. Other people came in to preach, but he never took a vacation. Mm. And I asked him why. He said, "Well, Reverend, I can't. I can't. What What happens if I'm not in the in the pulpit?" I said, "The same thing that's gonna happen if you die. It's gonna keep moving on." He said, "Reverend, I said, man, so you telling me?" That you have not spent no time away on a beach with your wife? But he said, he said, Garrett, don't talk to me like that. Why you say that to me? I said, ask your wife how much she'd enjoy. I said, I bet you she won't even believe you'll take her." Sure enough, she said, she was like, we'll never go on that. Oh, she wow. had settled mm. with that type of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, just talk to your deacons. And if they have a problem, I said, just don't show up. Have everything in place. He said, Doc. If if they, I said, if your church is willing to vote you out, your whole church will to vote you out. So you're caring for your family. I said, then there's. I said, you don't need to be at that church. I said, that's not the place. I said, and and we have to trust. Here it is. That God loves us just as much as he loves them. Dr. Tyshawn Gardner told me that and it released me. Preacher, Mm. God loves you just as much as he loves them. You are his child too. So I said to myself, you're right. I actually do get to spend time with my family and build that up as I'm encouraging them to spend time with their family. And yeah. so make sure you start setting that up. If you're a new pastor, talk to your church early about sabbatical. You ain't got to take a whole month, take two weeks. Listen, pay sabbatical. That's not your vacation time. I said sabbatical. And you tell them as you are t- doing, and I, I, I counsel pastors, but I tell them as you're doing this, explain to them they are being made the better for the time. You don't get to plan the agenda for the year. You don't get to vision cast when you're always dealing with the current problem. And so when you're able to take that time, you're able to center yourself with the Lord and see what he wants for you to do. And you're not just dealing with chaos. And here's the next thing, while you're on that sabbatical, there's only certain folk that are allowed to call you. Those, those emergency contacts. I tell people, I tell pastors, you better get you a burner phone, cut the other phone off if they not. The only folk that got that number are the folk that need to have that number. And so that way, you know that when I get this call, it is like, I'll say this and I'll stop. I got a call. I used to, I used to fret it. And one night I got that call, get a call super late at night. My heart would start pacing. So now, and I still have that issue. I got a call one super late. I just knew something was wrong because my family doesn't call me at a certain time. I lost someone that time. When I get those type of midnight calls, my heart pays. So I put my phone on sleep mode. My wife's phone is not on sleep mode. So here's what happens. If my family needs to get in touch, they have my wife's phone, but nobody can get in touch with me without being able and I have a church phone. So my deacons can get in touch. If something happens in the midnight hour, they can get in touch with me, but you cannot get in touch with me on my personal phone unless it's within a certain amount of time and you got to set those boundaries and those structures
0: well Reverend Garrett we thank you so much for sharing this wisdom about pastoral self-care um how can the people get in touch with you I know you got a podcast share with people um, how they can access
1: so our podcast is uh there's several ways you can act. Add- access me we took a break from our podcast for the last few months really just getting some uh, structural things together getting new equipment stuff like that uh but we are getting ready to come back out come september uh getting everything together uh i'll be still going live but here's the ways you can catch me you can find me on the pulpit view uh on youtube uh we have a membership uh not a paid membership but we have a group for uh pastors called the pulpit view in Facebook. If you search it, you'll find it. Um, then you can always get in contact with me at Stephen Garrett on Facebook, uh, pastor Stephen Garrett on Facebook and Stephen underscore K underscore Garrett at, uh, on Instagram. And so those are my major ways of getting in contact with me. And if you, uh, if you message me, I do reply back, uh, I'm always looking for uh, brothers to help, um, and the pulpit view community is directly for men because for us, a lot of times our family structure is the most out of order. Women really don't have a choice not to put some things in place because they carry the children. Uh, we, on the other hand, uh, a lot of times we have to slow ourselves down, so we really are trying to build up stronger men in the body of Christ. So. Uh, We want to walk with you, so if you want to, please connect with us. We'd be excited to have
0: you. Thank you so much, Reverend Garrett. It's always a pleasure to have you. I appreciate you sharing of your wisdom and your information, and just your your transparency. Um, Because I think there were um, some pastors who tuned in and was like, "Oh, you speaking my story? We can say this out loud." Okay, right. So, thank you so much for for giving of yourself and for walking in your calling. Um, Everyone, you will. Continue to see great presenters, such as Reverend Garrett, on the show this month as we're getting into the uh, series. Um, so Tuesday, August 8th, so that's next Tuesday, Elder LaVisha Williams will be here to talk about getting back to self after loss. On the 15th, Bishop Julian Lott, getting back to being non-judgmental, Going to your grace piece there, Pastor. Um, Apostle Sybil Sloan, getting back to your purpose will be on the 22nd and on the 29th. Dr. Sean Cook, getting back to inspiration. As always, thank you all for joining. You know, you can reach uh, Tea Time with Dr. Tarver on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite listening platforms. You have a wonderful evening, Reverend Gary. You take good care <laughs> and take care of yourself so you can get over that, that, that cold you got thank going you. on. Thank <laughs> you. Thank all right, sir. Good night. Have a good one.
1: You too.